Well, good morning and happy Lord's Day, brothers and sisters. Really thankful you've joined us for this worship service from First Baptist Church in Rock Hill. I'm Pastor Steve Hogg, and today you're getting to hear a message from Brother Chris Howe, who is our pastor to college students and high school students. And he's going to be talking, and you'll understand why we're in a surgical room today. He's going to be talking about how sin makes us sick, even when we don't know it makes us sick. And it really hinders our ability to be spiritually healthy and grow as disciples and hinders our ability to help other people become mature disciples. So if you want to learn how to be healed of the sickness that sin brings to your life, you get your Bible and listen to this message that Brother Chris Howell is going to preach. Let's pray and then he'll bring God's word for the day. Father in heaven, we are so humbled that we are able to come together as a people of God to worship King Jesus. We are so grateful that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin, and today we celebrate his grace. I pray right now, Father, that every person who is listening to this message, whether they're in their house, in their car, at work, wherever they're at, God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will speak to their mind and heart Draw them to Jesus Christ and do a wonderful, beautiful work that grows them as your disciple. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey there. It's great to be back with you again. Uh, for those of you that may not know me, maybe you've been tuning in when Pastor Steve Hogg has been preaching, but you have not had the opportunity when I have. My name is Chris Howell, and I am the pastor to high school and college students. And today I am just honored to be able to uh, fill this spot for the next 20 or 25 minutes with you. Uh, I've entitled today's message this, uh, Doctor, Give Me the News. Matter of fact, when I sent it in to uh, Matt, who does our media and graphics, I entitled it, Doctor, Doctor, Give Me the News. Uh, but he came back and told me that would be way too difficult to try to put in a graphic that looks entertaining. And uh, so therefore, we changed it to what you saw today. But just between you and I, we're going to go with Doctor, Doctor, Give Me the News. And here's the only reason why. It's because it's part of a song that you and I both know. On September the 27th, uh, Diana and I uh, were on a cruise. We were in Mexico, and we got news that our youngest daughter was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And immediately, uh, well, maybe not immediately, but very quickly, our mind went to the question of this, is she going to die? Um, she didn't. In fact, today, Lauren is married, she is thriving, and we just found out that she's pregnant. So Diane and I are expecting our first grandchild on January the 23rd, probably going to come a little bit sooner than that. And even to say our first grandchild, it, it rolls off the tongue very oddly, but we are super excited uh, about welcoming that baby. Then Diana's stepmom uh, several years ago was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. They immediately admitted her, in, admitted her into the hospital and began aggressive treatments. She became weak. She lost her hair. And we began to quietly ask the question that we asked with Lauren, would she die? Uh, today, she is alive and she is doing well. And her cancer is in remission. So we're super excited about that. There was also a time when Diana's sister, Cheryl, was diagnosed at the age of 40 with colon cancer. 
she sought treatment. Things looked good. Uh, they were able to uh, to kind of get that at bay, get it going in the right direction. And then I can remember we were in the Bahamas on a mission trip, and we got a phone call that the cancer had moved from her colon uh, to her uh, liver and to her pancreas. She began doing treatments again, and, and again, the, the, the medicine seemed to be working. This time she had surgery to have some of those uh, tumors removed from those areas, and things looked to be going well. And then it wasn't but just a little bit later that we uh, received another call that the cancer had moved from the pancreas and the liver to all of her lymph nodes. And we began asking the question, will she die? And in fact, just a short time later, she passed away from that terrible condition that grips many people these days. Jesus, as he was preparing to send his disciples out to do great things, you know, you, you know what the great things were, right? They were going out to heal people. But the chances are they were also maybe going out to pick up trash, maybe going to assist somebody uh, with something around the home. They, 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 they were doing great things. And we say they were doing great things because anything that we do for Christ is a great thing. It's a big thing. So in chapter 10, verse 28, we find where Jesus says this. This is red letter writing here in the New Testament. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body. Here's the unique thing about the scripture. When it says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. There's this semicolon that happens right in the middle of that verse. And we could translate that as because. So if we read it with the because versus reading and seeing the semicolon, it would read, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Because... They cannot touch your soul. See, th there's this there's this thing about when we serve God as a believer that we begin to worry about, okay, what is the world going to think? What's what's going to happen? Could I die? I mean, th there are things that could happen, right? We, If you watch the news any over the last couple of weeks, the murder rate in some of our large cities keeps going up. And, and, and so we wonder, is this because um, crime is out of control? We wonder, is it because of uh, maybe these people are professing to be of a, diff a different religion or of a religion? And so that question starts becoming, but Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body because they cannot touch your soul. See, there's a cancer that some of us would be challenged with that will eat at and possibly kill our body. But there's also a cancer that if left alone will eat at and kill our soul. And that cancer is the cancer of sin. So the question for many is, what exactly is sin? Chris, when you talk about sin, what exactly is sin? Well, I, I thought about that over the last couple of days, and uh, I believe that sin is when we displease God or when we find ourselves missing the mark that he set for us in our lives. If we read the book of James in the New Testament, we, we get a, a, a more defined definition of what sin is, but also just a very pragmatic and simple one. James says 4.17 uh, so for the person who knows to do good and doesn't do it, that's a sin. For the person who knows to do good and doesn't do it, that's a sin. So for the next few minutes, I am not calling you a sinner. Please hear me well in this. I, I, I am so not calling you a sinner. However, I do want to take a look at what sin is. So clear your minds. And get ready to take this journey with me. If you have a pen and a paper, you may want to take some notes. I'm going to give you a couple points. And then I'm going to give you a couple follow-up points. And then we'll close up today. The first one is this. Is that for us to understand what sin is, we have to know the truth about sin. 
in our day, very few people care to hear about the truth of sin. We prefer to rename it, don't we? We like to say, well, I made a mistake or I made a bad decision. Any name that makes it sound better than what the word sin sounds like. Because truth is, if we go around saying, hey, you're a sinner, or did you commit this sin, or did you do this sin, it sounds so harsh. And so we try to lighten that up. But we need to understand today that sin is sin, and it is a bad thing. The common practice to, to hide behind when we start talking about sin is a phrase like, well, you know, no, no one's perfect. I mean, I can't get it right all the time. And so whether we're believers or whether we're lost people, we try to hide behind phrases like that. I mean, wouldn't you like to be on a fly on the wall when we stand before Jesus in judgment and we try to say, well, I mean, Jesus, no one's perfect, right? I mean, you're the only perfect one. Or See, you don't understand. I, I just made a mistake or I made a bad decision. Uh, I'm not really sure that that's going to fly. So let's consider several words which describe sin. And these are the points that I want you to kind of take note of today. The first one is this, is that sin is personal. This means that everybody sins. Paul quotes the Old Testament in Romans 3 when he writes, There is none righteous, no, not one. That's in verse 10. And then to continue to drive this home, the truth, he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. And then John writes in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, this is how sin is personal to you and to I. If left to our own ruin, sin will run rampant in our lives. Yet it's not the same sin for everybody. I mean, some are, have the sin of, of maybe lust or sexual sins, while others have the sin of speech. You know, they're cursing, they're swearing, they're, they're gossiping. And yes, if you did not understand that today, gossiping is a sin. You know, when, when we pull up beside somebody and they say, you're not going to believe what I heard about such and such. We just need to pray for them. And that person wants to get into it. And they go, well, what did you hear? Tell me about it. They're like, oh, it's, it's I don't know, it's bad. Um, they don't take their trash out when they're spoke. Whatever the case might be, that's gossip and that's a sin of speech. While for others it could be a sin of greed, maybe thievery, cheating, or defrauding. You know that whole thing where we say, "Well, I'll just take this deduction here on my taxes." I mean, it didn't happen, but nobody will know that. That's fraud. Or, or when we're at the grocery store and it rings up as seventy-eight cent when it's supposed to be five dollars and seventy-eight cent, we go, "Well." I mean, it's their fault. I'll just go ahead and take it. I, I can remember as things like that have happened to me where somebody gave me back too much change or, or maybe they didn't charge me the right amount. And, and I'll say, hey, excuse me, wait a minute. <laughs> as much as I want to say, uh, okay, have a nice day, I know that later that's going to cost me more. But, but that, that, that's a sin of greed. And there can be even so much more. See, Satan knows where you and I could be tempted to mo tempted the most. So what we need to understand today is that sin is personal, but sin is also persistent. Romans six tells us that we or or are slaves of our sin, and that means that sin was or can be our master. In other words, before we meet Jesus, we do what sin tells us to do. I mean, can you remember what it was like to have sin run your life? See, sin never gives up on its own. It's persistent. 
it, it, it's like that nagging three-year-old that comes around sometimes or that nagging four-year-old because they want a snack. They're like, can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? I was in the store the other day, and I don't remember what I was buying, uh, but I remember the kid walking around behind his mom going, mom, 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 can I have the game? Mom, can I have the game? And, of course, you know what mom did. She's like, be quiet or you're not getting the game. Kid just kept on. It's very persistent. Because of our fallen nature, thanks to our father, Adam, <laughs> it, it, it started with him. Sin stays after us all the days of our lives. When you think you have beat it, it comes back. Remember what Paul said? Paul said, "I what I want to do, I don't. And what I don't want to do, I do. Sin just always seems to be at our heels. It's very persistent. It never gives up. Satan never stops throwing darts at our heart. Because he's hoping that one of them will land and one of them will stick and one of them will cause injury. You remember when I was talking about my wife's sister? They, they, they took the cancer from her colon only for it to come back to her pancreas and her liver. And they took the cancer from her pancreas and her liver only for it to come back to her lymph nodes. See, sin is just like that cancer. It, it, it is persistent. And when you think you have beat it, it comes right back. Remember the words of Paul when Paul said, what I want to do? I don't. And what I don't want to do, I do. See, Paul knew that sin never gives up. But not only is sin personal, not only is it persistent, but sin is also pervasive. This means that the cancer of sin affects every part of our life. I mean, if a man is consumed with lust, it will, it will affect how he responds to his wife or it will affect the affection that he can show to his children. If someone's consumed with gambling, it will impact the way he thinks. And the things that he does. Secret sin. It will impact you even greater. It will make you seem like. You know. Like like you have multiple personalities. Because you're trying to act this way over here. But you got this secret sin over here. That causes you to act a different way. And so it's like you're this person of multiple personalities. It'll cause you to lie to the ones that you say you love. And deceive your closest friend. I was in the gym just the other day, and as I was in the gym, one of the trainers in the gym began talking about Jonah. You know the story. God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh, and, and Jonah says no, and he comes up with all these excuses, and he decides to run. And when he decides to run, he's, he's in this ship, and the, the storm comes about on the sea, and the, the sailors on the boat are trying to figure out what's going on, who did what, let's throw a bunch of weight over, and then finally Jonah wakes up in the bottom of the boat. He goes to the top, and he tells the captain, it's me. God wants me. It's, it's my fault. And so here's one of the things that we need to understand when it comes to that sin is pervasive. Not only does it give us multiple personalities and does it cause us to do things we shouldn't do, but the sin in our lives also impacts the people around us the most. Not just the storm in our life, but just like with Jonah, Jonah's sin caused storm in other people's lives. And so we have to understand that happens. But also we need to know that sin is progressive. See, sin never stops wanting more. Let's take David in the Old Testament for just a minute. David began with laziness. But see, that wasn't enough, so it moved to lust. And after David was lazy and after that sin progressed to lust, it still wasn't enough. And that lust never satisfied, so it moved to immorality. You remember he saw Bathsheba, and when he saw Bathsheba, he had an affair with her. Immorality grabbed him and made him crave even more. So David had to cover his tracks, and he attempted deception. And then murder. See, the progression of sin never stops. 
James gives us this progression. He says, lust gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. So lust is the granddaddy of death. Sin will carry you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will make you pay more than you want to pay. There is no controlling sin. It never stops eating. Not only is sin progressive, but sin is also poison. Today's society, they're trying to win the battle against cancer and its fatal outcome. And make no mistake, like cancer, sin which left untreated has only one outcome, and that outcome is death. I mean, could you imagine being bitten by a rattlesnake or perhaps a king cobra? My wife and I went to the zoo a couple of weeks ago down in, in Columbia, and they had both of those snakes there, a rattlesnake and a, and a king cobra. But could you imagine being bitten by that? And, and, and all you would say was, well, it's not as bad as you think it is. I, I mean, I've watched some of these shows where guys get bit by a snake, and when they get bit, they draw a circle around where the bite is. Because they can tell the more it spreads how bad it's getting. But could you imagine getting bit, never drawing the circle, and you look at it, and it's just a little spot maybe on your forearm. You go, well, it's not that bad. And then maybe it spreads to the elbow, and you're still going, well, you know, it's not that bad. I mean, i got all this mass, and it's only in this one little spot. Sin is poison. And as silly as that sounds, imagine how it would sound to God saying such things about sin. For it says the wages of sin is death. It's still death. But could we imagine for just a minute that if we if we got bit by the poison of sin and we look at God and go, well, I mean, God, it's not that bad. Only did this or only did that or only said this or only said that. Hebrews 10, 26 says the poison of sin will ultimately destroy you. If you've never chosen to follow Christ, then the sin of unbelief dooms you. See, the whole scripture that we read a minute ago in 1028 of Matthew um, said that don't worry about those that come after you. Because although they may kill you, they'll never get your soul. But then it goes on to say, but God can destroy you and your soul. So is there a treatment for this sin that I'm talking about? Absolutely, there's a treatment for this sin. Even though we don't like to talk about sin or cancer, the reality is without treatment, you have little hope. Unlike cancer, sin has a miraculous cure that's 100% effective. See, my daughter with her brain tumor, I don't know that it'll ever go away outside of God doing something miraculous. There may not be a medicine that can that can take it away completely. It's not cancerous right now, but should it ever become cancerous, uh, I don't know that they ever have any med- they'll ever have any medicine that will take it from being cancerous to non-cancerous. But unlike cancer, sin has a miraculous cure that is a hundred percent effective on sin. The first part of it is this: is that we have to admit. Interestingly enough, if you look up the word "admit" in Scripture. Admit. I need to admit something. If you look that word up, it's never used in the Bible. Matter of fact, if you use a concordance, which is about three times the size of a Bible, uh, length and width wise, and then thickness is a lot bigger. They take all the words in that we can think of in language that we would use in translating the Bible, and they find different phrases where they're used or different passages where they're used. It's only used twice in the scripture, the word admit, and it's not used the way we, we use it. So what does admit? Admit means to confess. See, we see both the root and the fruit of admitting your sin in Acts chapter 2 after Peter's message. In verse 37, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel and, and America, I mean, listen, this wasn't just written for the people of Israel, know with certainty 
that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. See, for the house of Israel, who Peter was talking to at the time, their sin was a physical crucifixion of Christ. Yet for us, knowing that we sin is the same as us spitting upon Jesus. It's the same as us putting him on the cross. It's the same as us standing there in that crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. That's what sin in our life does. And so we have to admit that our words, that the things that we do, our actions are the sin that is against Christ as much as it's we're doing it. See, there'll be no cure for sin until you're cut to the heart about your sin. And it's only by the Holy Spirit of God that we find ourselves being convicted or cut and we realize that fatal condition. The third, second thing that we have to do is we have to repent. So we have to admit, but then we have to repent. Repent means to turn from, turn around, leave behind. This is the message of Peter in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 8. It's the message of Paul in Acts chapter 17 and Acts chapter 26. And it's the message of Jesus. In Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all perish. And see, this message is given to Christ, by Christ to six out of the seven churches in Revelation. He said, you will never repent and turn from your sins until and unless you turn to Christ. I need you to understand that concept for a minute. For those that you're trying to be, lead to becoming a disciple, to those of you that are our disciples, you will never turn from your sin until you turn to Christ. You'll never find a cure for cancer until you go to the doctor. So for all of our verbiage and Sunday school lessons and our sermons, nothing replaces repentance. We have to repent. And then the final thing today is you have to turn to and trust in Christ. If repent is to turn away from, make a 180 degree turn from our sin, then to turn from it means we must turn to something. And that something is Christ. See, the only cure for cancer of the sin or the cancer of sin is the blood of Christ. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness. And because the wages of sin is still death, we must turn to and trust Christ on Calvary. To be, give, be forgiven of our sins and to understand that we don't have to be held captive. We don't have to be held in bondage with that. We, we don't have to walk around like some of us may have to walk around knowing that we have cancer in our body. That the, the cancer of sin can be cured. It can be cured miraculously through the blood of Christ. So as you and I are disciples... We have to understand that as Pastor Steve has been talking the last couple of weeks about what it means to be a disciple and how you become a better disciple. See, you can't be a disciple carrying around all the sin in your life. And again, hear me clearly. I'm not calling you a sinner. You know what you do and I know what I do. But if we're going to be the disciple that God calls us to be, it can't be because we're full of sin. And then if we're leading others to be disciples, the first thing that they need to understand is that sin is the true thing. That sin is real. That when we do the things that go against the measurement of what God has marked out for our lives, when we do the things that are wrong, when we know what is right, that is sin. And so I hope today that you find it encouraging. Not, not, not encouraging that we can have sin in our life, but encouraging that there's a cure for it. 
encouraging that that God sits there and he waits and he says, hey, look, if you just come into the room like you see behind me, if you come and say, doctor, I need help. God will be that doctor in our lives to cut that sin out and to put us on the right path, to give us the right answers, to, to, to show us the medication that's needed to turn from it, to turn to him. And then as you're sharing with other people, help them to understand that no matter how small it seems, when they say, what's well, a bad decision or, or it was just this, that until they're ready to lay that down, they'll never understand what a true disciple is. I hope today you found Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, and the words about sin and the cure for it encouraging. So until next time, God bless you, and I hope you have a wonderful day.